So what I want you to see today from uh, this stanza, I think is pretty basic, all right, but important. Two weeks ago, I spoke to you about this particular stanza and mentioned that our love for God, which is, is reflected in verse 41, will result in obedience to him, speaking up for him, and worshiping him. So if you and me claim to love God, those three things will happen. We'll obey him, we'll speak up for him, and we'll worship him. I want to focus on that central one, speaking up for him. Verses 42, 43, and 46 talk about that, okay? So let me summarize what I'm going to say today. Uh, I'm going to try to explain for you from Scripture how your willingness to speak up for God is directly proportionate to your level of trust in Him. I want you to understand that a vibrant evangelistic lifestyle, which I'm equating with speaking up for God, rests upon and is motivated by a deep trust in God and His Word. I'm suggesting that the reason that we hit a roadblock when speaking to people, neighbors, loved ones, kings, verse 46, when speaking to them about God, the reason we hit a roadblock there is because we really don't trust him or his word as we should. All right? Now, stay with me if you would. It's going to take some explaining. Let's start with 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Now, uh, Peter says we always need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us, all right? Um, we need, if we're going to speak up for the Lord, not to defend him, but to defend our hope, um, and our hope is in his goodness and his grace and his honor, uh, then we need to set apart Christ as Lord. We need to honor Christ as Lord. Um, and what is the best way that we can honor Christ? What did Jesus say the will of the Father was to the people who asked? To believe in him who sent me is what Jesus said. So let's look at the, the meaning of the word trust, if we could, for a second in Scripture. Uh, the meaning of the word trust Thomas Manton wrote the following, to trust in God without his word is a foolish and groundless presumption. And the word without God is but a dead letter. Why I'm reading that quote is because I want you to see that there is an inseparable connection between God and his word. And this is what I, the reason I'm saying that is because verse 42 and 43. All right, he says that he, in verse 42, I will have an answer for him who taught me because I trust in your word. And then verse 43, uh, don't take the word of truth out of my mouth because I hope in your rules. I want you to see that he's talking not only about the word of God, but about the God of the word. All right, you can't separate those two things in the Christian experience. Trusting in God and trusting in his word are knit inseparably together. Manton continues with this quote. Trust is an exercise of faith whereby looking upon God in Christ through the promises or through the word, 
We depend on him for whatsoever um, we stand in need of. What is it that you stand in need of? More than anything else, what do I stand in need of? Isn't it reconciliation with my creator? Isn't it to have your sins dealt with, that thing that separates you from God, to have that dealt with? Isn't that what your greatest need is? Isn't that what you stand in need of more than anything else? I think it is. And so faith, or trust rather, is an exercise of faith whereby looking upon God in Christ in the scriptures, we depend on him for salvation. He continues. And and so are encouraged to go on cheerfully in the ways wherein he hath appointed us to walk. So to summarize it uh, in the vernacular, and I've put this sentence in your bulletin so you'll remember it. It is going to be our working definition of trust. Trusting God means to believe in the finished work of Jesus and live in light of that grace every day. That is what trust means. That is the premise from which I'm going to talk to you about verses 42, 43, and 46. Trusting God means to believe in the finished work of Jesus and live in light of that grace. There's two parts to that definition, as you can see. Trusting begins with believing in Jesus. To believe in Jesus Christ is the beginning of what it means to, to define trusting God. You, you can't trust God without trusting in Jesus, without believing in Jesus. To say that you are a Christian is saying that you trust that Jesus is who he claims to be and all the scripture claims he is. That's what it means to trust in God, to believe in Jesus. And I think, along with many other theologians, that trusting Jesus Christ is the focus of this entire book from Genesis to Revelation. A while back, we were studying the, the Gospel of John here. Do you remember that? And does anybody know for a gold star what the key verse of the Gospel of John is? Chapter 20, verse 31, right? These things are written, not just the things in this gospel. I would venture to say the things between Genesis and Revelation, these things are written so that you might believe and that believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Holy One, Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. That is not only the key verse of John, that's the key verse of the entire Bible, the Bible was written so that you will believe in Jesus. All right? That's, I think, a basic reality. So back to our definition, trusting in God means to believe in the finished work of Jesus, part one. Part two, and live in light of that grace. That means continuing to depend on Jesus. Not just coming to faith when you're nine and then living like you want until you die. No, it's coming to faith in Jesus Christ and having that faith, that grace, affect the rest of your entire earthly experience. I would say eternal experience. Okay? So, listen to how two verses from the Gospels actually speak to this definition, both parts of it. Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. 
Now, to 57 verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Now, the, obviously, the phrase I want you to focus on is in the shadow of your wings. I think you and I would say that that phrase uh, refers to this ongoing dependency, this ongoing trust in God, right? Because what, what comes to your mind when you think about in the shadow of your wings? We've heard it before in books and sermons that, that, that you know, explain that phrase. You, you got a mother hen in your brain, right? And the mother hen's got her, her wings out and all the chicks run underneath there and she protects them from whatever it is that's coming their direction. That's true. It is talking about a dependence on uh, a, a fellowship with God in Christ in that sense, uh, an ongoing dependency on God. But it also speaks of the first half of our definition, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What is the shadow of our wings referring to? A chicken more or the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant more. I think it's referring to the second. The cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant was in view in the author's mind. I will hide in the shadow of the wings of the Ark of the Covenant. There lies my safety. There is the picture of my Savior. There is upon which the blood of the, of the sacrifice was sprinkled. There is my atonement. There is my refuge. Right? So we have both sides of our definition wrapped up in that phrase, in the shadow of your wings. Not only belief in the atoning work of Christ, but an ongoing dependence and believing, trusting in what he will do with me and for me and through me for the rest of my life. But the mercy seat was a type of Christ. That mercy seat, the lid that went on top of the of the Ark of the Covenant where the, the golden cherubim's wings touched speaks to both of these things. Our, our needs draw us to the promises about God's work in us for, I mean, in Christ for us. And these promises lead us to Christ and Christ leads us to God and God, of course, is the fountain of grace. This is how I want us to think about trust as we try to understand or get a handle on how we can be more verbal in our faith. All right? Let's look at the path to getting there. How do we get to the place where we trust God as we should? Not just for the work of Christ, but daily, applying the work of grace to every one of our situations, circumstances. The path, what are the stepping stones? So if we're going to understand the flow here of this particular stanza, verses 41 through 48, uh, and get to the point where we trust God as the author of these verses trusted God um, and, and conquer our fears for, of speaking up for him, I think we need to know this path. We need to know those stepping stones. So how can we learn to trust God more so that we'll be more verbal in our faith? Step one, first stepping stone, guard your requests. Guard your requests. Um, look at what the author here is requesting. Let your steadfast love come from me. That's, that's a biblical request. Um, then I shall be able to answer him. Then I'll be able to speak. That's a, that's a 
biblical command. You see, so guard your request. Don't, don't ask for things that will draw you away from your Savior. And I think we all know what those things are in our lives. They may vary a bit from person to person, but in general, we all know what draws our hearts away from God, and yet that seems to be uh, a regular request of ours, those kind of things. Notice that these psalmist requests are directly in line with God's will. He's asking for steadfast love, not greater possessions. He's asking for a faithful witness, not improved status. You want to know how to pray? You don't want to know how to guard your request? Do a very short and easy study on Paul's prayers in the New Testament to the New Testament churches. Look at Paul's prayer for the Colossian church or the Ephesian church or the Philippian church. There's prayers for each of these churches that come from Paul's pen. They're wonderful prayers, and they are based upon God's will for the people who receive them. Do a little study on that, and you'll see, oh, this is how I should be praying. So guard your requests. Secondly, believe that God cares. How is it that you're going to share Christ with someone who needs him um, and try to convince them that God cares for them? if you're not convinced that he cares for you? Do you believe that the God of the universe actually cares for you personally? Not just you because you're a human being, but you. Um, the, the fact that the author in Psalms here is making these kind of requests to God demonstrates that he believes that God is interested in his welfare. He wouldn't ask them otherwise. The same reason Jesus said what he said in Matthew 6 about God's care for us, his people, his children. He said in verse 31, Jesus did, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And why did Jesus, what did Jesus say, the reasons why we shouldn't be anxious about those things? Do you remember what he said in that same sermon? Jesus basically said, God has proven over and over again, even to the smallest creatures, that he cares. He loves his creation, and we are the pinnacle of that creation. And beyond that, we're in covenant with him. He's promised to be our father, our savior. He's adopted us into his family. He will, he will take care of us. If he's willing to take care of a plant or take care of a sparrow, there's no doubt that he will take care of you and me, is Jesus' point in, John 6, in, in Matthew 6. So believe that God cares. That's the next stepping stone to trusting God as we should so that we can share him as we should. The third stepping stone is to know God's promises. Know God's promises. I think this is important. Um, I think it's important that we don't depend on things that he hasn't promised. And we catch ourselves doing this a lot, don't we? He never promised ease. He never promised comfort. He never promised wealth or good health. And yet we seem to um, decide whether or not God truly cares for us based on those things. Well, I'm unhealthy, so God must not care for me. I run out of money so often, God must not care for me. Um, I'm not very comfortable in this relationship or this job or this 
you know, neighborhood. And so God must not really care for me because I'm not getting what I want. Don't depend on things that God hasn't promised. Um, so, so in order to avoid derailing your trust in God, don't place those things on the table as though they were tests for God's care for you. The author here in, in verses 41 through 48 asked for what God has already promised. Uh, be, being a faithful witness. Experiencing the love of God. So in order to support us in the difficult spiritual pilgrimage that, that God has placed us on, God makes promises to us. Promises to encourage us. Promises to strengthen us in the, in the pilgrimage. Promises like the one we find in Hebrews 13 where he will never leave us. Romans 8, that all the things that we're going, that Romans 8, 28, all the things that we're experiencing, both good and bad, are, 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 are for our good and will turn out good. And in Isaiah 43, 2, um, that he will be with us through fire and deep water. Psalm 84, that he will be a shield for us in hard times and he will withhold no good thing from us. These are all promises that God makes to his people. And his word is full of these kind of promises. So know God's promises. Do you know them? Could you come up with ten promises that God has made to you? Now, I think this is a great argument for filling your mind with the word of God. The promises uh, are found there in the word. When I was going through Bible school at Multnomah, um, one of my Bible teachers was John Mitchell, and uh, he would ask us Bible questions every day in all of our classes. And if there was no answer or a, a delayed answer or silence of any kind, he would lean forward over the, his podium and say in his Scottish accent, don't you read your Bibles? And, and then they built a, a library at, on Multnomah's campus, and they named it the John Mitchell Library, and there's a plaque on the front wall, and that's the quote, don't you read your Bibles? Do you know the promises of God that he's made on your behalf? What are they? They might be worth getting to know. It's kind of like your proficiency in music. You know, you may be able to play a few chords on the guitar, maybe a song or two from memory on the piano, but until you dig into music theory and really begin to understand how music works and, and put into practice your musical knowledge as you are learning, you're never really gonna be all that proficient. You're really never gonna be a musician, right? And the same way, until you dig into the Word of God and read it and know it well, you're going to struggle through life when you face challenges, when all along there are things there that, in Scripture that can help you as God has designed them. So we should practice putting our trust in God the same way we would, we would practice music to get better at it. Know the promises. We should practice putting our trust in God at all times and in all circumstances, good and bad. Psalm 62, for example, says, Trust him at all times, O people. 
pour out your heart before him, God is a refuge. Not just in the bad times, in the good times. Whatever our circumstances are, whatever our condition is, we, we need to learn to depend on God. In the good times, for example, it seems so easy to neglect God. In the good times, we need to view God as the fountain from which all these blessings flow. The reason that you enjoy what you do is because of God's faithful goodness towards you. And I think if we would, would think of our blessings in that way, living in dependence upon God's goodness towards us would help us from being led astray by the very blessings that God has intended for us to enjoy. And of course, like I said, it's more difficult to do that when things are going well than when things are going bad. When, when things are going bad, we naturally run to God, right? When, when they're going well, we, we don't think we really don't have that much of a need. Things are cruising along. Why would I... Why would I need God? But from time to time, God brings things into our lives to wake us up, doesn't he? Yeah. This is what he said through the prophet Zephaniah chapter 3. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, down and out people. That's the kind of people you're going to have to deal with, Zephaniah. Lo and behold, they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Why? Because they're down and out. <laughs> That's why. Friends, we need to understand something real basic here. Uh, God's promises found in Scripture are true. Okay? That sounds so basic. Um, and yet we fail to understand them or fail to know them. God cannot fail. He's unable to fail. If he's promised something, it will be fulfilled. It will happen, even on your behalf. So, since we know of, of God's love, this Hesed love that I talked about last week, this perfect love, well-rounded love, which withholds no good thing from the one loved, wouldn't you think we would be quick to trust the one who loves us in that, in that way instead of resist? Um, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest miracles that the Christian knows about is the fact that we're going to be in heaven one day. That's an amazing miracle, isn't it? And yet, most Christians, at least the ones I've talked to, don't doubt that promise. That, that Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for us, and when he comes back, he'll come and get us and take us there. We don't, we don't doubt that for some reason. But we doubt that he'll take care of us today. <laughs> to me, that seems like a massive um, dysfunction. We believe in something that is impossible to understand, but we won't believe the, the, the simple thing that's right in front of us. Do you think if God can get you to heaven, he can make sure that you get there? Do you think that God got a place for you reserved with your name on it, that he's going to make sure that he guides you, strengthens you on the way? Yeah, of course. You know, a lot of people disrupt God's work in their life 
or disrupt God's promises um, in their lives by um, claiming things that maybe ought to be thought about a little bit longer. For example, a, a, a promise that I read to you earlier from Psalm 84:11. it says, the Lord is the sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing to see withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then, of course, you're always going to be encountering someone who says, well, uh, money's a good thing, and it seems like he's withheld money from me. Um, good health is a good thing, and he's withheld good health from me. You know, they, they make a long list of good things they don't have, and hence throw a question on whether God is faithful. He said he's, he wouldn't withhold good things, but I've got a lot of good things I don't have. Well, let me say something important. Your good is not determined by your desires, but by God's wisdom. Your good is not determined by what you want. <laughs> your good is determined by a loving and wise God. What's best for you? And what is God's good? We talked about this last week also. Making you become like Jesus Christ, that's God's ultimate good for you. It's, it's, it's conforming you to the image of Jesus, Romans 8, 29. That's the good. So anything that will do that is good. So we need to be careful with these promises. You know, of course, this is why God allowed Peter to be sifted, to go through those serious trials, those those difficult and dark days right before Jesus died. Um, God, God wanted to do something in Peter's life. And it required Peter to go through those difficult times. Peter's hardship created an unshakable love and affection for Jesus. And God knew that. Had Jesus come to Peter and said, hey, what do you think about this idea? Peter would have said, forget it. I don't want that to go through that. that that's embarrassing. It's humbling. It's, I mean, it's, I don't want that. But God allowed it. And in John 21, Jesus gave Peter a chance to affirm his love and affection for Jesus to the world. Didn't he? Peter, do you love me? Three times. Peter, do you love me? God, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know everything. It was because of the hardship he went through that he was able to say that. You know, I think as we learn to trust God, as we, as we learn to depend on him, even when it seems a little bit risky, um, we need to understand that Satan is a master of taking advantage of disappointments in the Christian's life. He's a master at it. You know, you, you read the promises of God, you read his commitments to us, his people, and then we hit a, a road bump or a hiccup of some kind. And there's a little bit of, oh, and Satan's all over that, isn't he, like a wet blanket. He tries to take advantage of your discouragement, of your disappointment, and says, hey, think about this alternative. You know, God didn't come forth through, through for you here. What about this? What do you think about this? It happens all the time. 
in the Christian life. Know God's promises. Live by those. Claim those. Fourthly, fourth stepping stone, depend on God's strength instead of your own. I think one of the reasons that we miss out on God's promises is that we think we don't need God. So if God is loving, as the word hesed uh, would describe him to be, if God is a God of hesed love, perfectly wise, perfectly um, good, all-powerful, then we can rest in the things that he sends our way. We, We can depend on him to provide any strength that we might need in any circumstance we face. God isn't interested in in seeing you fail. He isn't just going to sitting up there saying, well, watch this. This is going to be fun. Look at how, oh man, they're going to fail. No. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, I can do all things who strengthens me. First Peter said in 4.19, therefore let us who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator. God's interested in your well-being. I think that's, if, if anything, in the past few weeks as we've gotten into this particular stanza, that has been a repeating theme. God cares about you and me. Fifth, get to know God. Of course, um, if you get to know his word, get to know his promises, you'll get to know God. This is just another way of saying that same thing. But it's enough different that I added a fifth point. Get to know God. Psalm 9, 10, and those who know your name put their trust in you. Do you know God? I mean, really know him? How familiar are you with his word, with his promises? If you, if you know God, you, you'll put your trust in him. Um, verse verse 40, 46 says that this trust results in speaking to even kings. Do you you trust God enough? Forget kings. How about neighbors? How about children in your family? How about brother-in-law, sister-in-law, brother, sister? Get to know God. How are you going to speak to someone about God if you don't know God? I'm not interested in talking to someone about auto mechanics who's never lifted the hood of a car. I'm not interested in talking to somebody about baseball that's never played a baseball game. I want to know that you know what you're talking about. And so when you come to someone who needs a word from Christ, we need to know him. This is what James was referring to in chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. The more you know God, the more you'll trust him. The more you trust him, the freer you'll be with speaking about him. The more we'll hear of Christ from you. Spurgeon said this, the word of truth cannot be a joy to our mouths, in other words, come out of our mouths in a joyful way, unless we have an experience of it in our hearts or in our lives. 
the psalmist in Psalm 23, verse 1, could say the Lord is my shepherd is because he experienced him. He knew him. He knew that he'd be taken care of in the shadow of death, in the valley of the shadow of death. The, the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3 could say that he hoped in the Lord, could say that the Lord was my portion because he knew him. Knowing God changes your perspective on everything. Knowing God changes your perspective on the needs of your neighbors, the needs of your loved ones. It's not just a mowed lawn they need. They, know they need Jesus. Right? So know God. Walk closely with him. Be in fellowship and communion with him. Charles Bridges uh, lays a, a piercing comment on us. He says this, coldness and formality deaden the power of Christian boldness. Maybe this is why we struggle. It's because our, our Christianity is more about formality. Doing the right things. Knowing the right answers. Instead of an engagement of the heart with God. I don't know. Do you, do you come to church with a spirit of anticipation or do you, do you come here to get it over with? Do you really want and expect God to speak to you, to, to move in your heart, to stir your soul before you walk in that door? Do you wake up in the morning believing that God cares for you and that has, and has a, a, an exciting journey for the next 24 hours for you? Get to know God. And it'll make the world of difference to what comes out of your mouth to the people that need to hear about Jesus. Now let me, let me finish with these three reasons. Um, our third point, reasons to trust God. Actually, five reasons, sorry. But they'll go quickly. Bear with me. Uh, first reason that we should trust God, it's a natural response to need, right? When you get in trouble, what do you do? You go for help. And when you get thirsty, you go for water. When you get hungry, you go for food. When you cut your finger, you go get a Band-Aid. When you're in need, you run to God. This is what happened in Jonah. Jonah was on this ship trying to run away from God and run away from God's direction. And there became a big storm. And what did all the sailors do? Remember? They all prayed to their God. You know? Need? Run to God. It's, it's, the reason to trust God is because it's a natural response to need. Secondly, it's a demonstration of relationship. And if, and if anything in the Christian life demonstrates you know and love God is that you trust him. Thirdly, if I could say it as simple as this, it's God. <laughs> it's God's word. We're not talking about my word. We're not talking about anybody else's word. It's God we're talking about. Reason to trust God, it's God. The Apostle John said this in his first epistle, 5 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar. 
Well, God has revealed the truths about himself, about his son, about his love for his children in God's word. Do you believe it or don't you? It's God speaking. Another reason to trust God because of the benefits of trust. Let me mention a few benefits of trusting God. One, it shields our hearts against fear and anxiety. Are you a fearful, anxious person? Practice trusting. It puts away fears. This is what Matthew 6 is all about. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you can trust God with heaven, you, you can leave everything else to him as well. Friends, you can leave your health, your finances, your kids. Because of the benefits of trust, trust God. And if I were selling trust to you, I'd say, hey, it shields your heart against fear and anxiety. It's worth it. Buy it. Psalm 112, he's not afraid of the bad news. Who's not afraid? Those who trust God. Okay, it's bad news. Okay, what's God going to do? This is going to be exciting. Next, it, it comforts us in our sorrows. Who doesn't need comfort and sorrow? And the older you get, the more of it you need. Third benefit of trust is it strengthens our resolve to wait on the Lord. Instead of pushing open doors, instead of manipulating circumstances, we can just wait. And trust God on this one. Keeps us on the straight and narrow. When we're, when we're truly trusting God, we are convinced that he will be faithful, meet our needs. Let's stay on the path. We're talking about reasons to trust God. First, it's natural response to need. It's a demonstration of relationship with God. It's God. Fourthly, because of the benefits. And fifthly, and this is one of my favorites, if not the most favorite reason to trust God, it turns boredom into adventure. Boredom into adventure. I would say that 90% of Christians live a boring life. No wonder no one wants to be a Christian. I don't want to be like you. Is that possible? Maybe we're just boring. But trusting God moves you out of that territory and into an adventurous life experience. Think about this. What, what, what kind of life do you think Daniel lived? Anything but boring. Moses? Jim Elliot? Amy Carmichael? You wouldn't say boring in the same sentence as those names. Because they lived trusting God, not themselves. I, I love this story in Luke 5, where the master fisherman, Peter, who was a professional fisherman, fished all night with his buddies and came up with nothing. And then daybreak comes and they see Jesus standing on the shore. And he says, hey, Peter, and this is a carpenter speaking to a fisherman. Peter, why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? Uh, I've been doing that all night. It's been on both sides of the boat. It's been over the back and over the front. 
It's been everywhere. There's no fish in this lake. But, because you said it, what the heck, let's try it. And what happens? Amazement. Peter was willing to risk a little bit, to, to live adventurously, trusting God. So, trusting God turns a boring Christian life into an adventurous one. Why not be super adventurous and invite someone to your home for dinner? Practice some hospitality. Oh, that's scary. They'll see my home. That's the point. Trust God. Did he say to practice hospitality? I think it's a command of Scripture. Practice hospitality. How about this? Give and serve sacrificially. Oh, that's scary. What if, what if, what if, what if? Try it. Quit being boring. How about speaking up for Jesus when opportunity presents itself? I wouldn't know what to say. That's the point. (laughs) All right? Obey. Trust. These folks in verse 46 who, who were able to speak before kings, you think they were all ready? With their three-point outline? No. Remember what Jesus said to the apostles? When it happens, I'll give you the words to say. Not before. Trust me. Just go do it. Trust me. And, and we have these examples. We have Daniel, Moses, Gideon, Elliot, Carmichael, Fill in the blank of all these people we know who, who lived a life of trust. And they were living exciting lives. I really don't want to die of boredom, personally. You know, I'd like to go down in a ball of fire if possible. So do you trust the Lord? If you do, um, I think you'll, you'll notice something. You'll be, you'll be praying more. You'll, your, your, your trust will work its way out in a commitment to prayer, um, if nothing else, to, to call on God for strength. Um, Psalm 62, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. I think if, if we're trusting the Lord, it'll be felt in, in a quietness of, of spirit, uh, a, a resting heart. Paul to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will rule your hearts. You'll be, there'll be a quietness when you're trusting the psalmist in Psalm 94, when, he, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Uh, friends, when we trust God, it's uh, infectious. It affects all of our relationships. 
you know, it, the people closest to you will see it first, and then it'll start bleeding out into all your relationships. People at work, people at school, uh, people in the neighborhood. Because of all these things that Scripture tells us. So let's, let's try um, to be adventurous for one week, just one week. Um, so between now and next Sunday, your job is to be adventurous, all right, and trust the Lord with something that you're not comfortable with, like the things I've mentioned, okay? You figure it out. Let's pray. God, we can be adventurous because you're trustworthy. We can step in to the water because you'll know, we know that you'll separate it. We can follow obediently because you always come through. God, help us. Help us trust you. Help us to be people um, who are characterized by trust who daily depend upon the grace we have in Christ. Fulfill your purposes in us, God, we pray, for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ and for our joy in all of it. Amen.